Welcome to WTAR uh, Traditional Astrology Radio. Uh, I'm Chris Brennan, and it's Tuesday, December 7th, 2010, uh, here in Denver, Colorado. This is my first show since taking over from Jackie last month, and tonight I'm going to be interviewing astrologer Alan White. So Alan is an ex-Special uh, Forces Vietnam veteran, and he's been practicing astrology for several decades. Uh, he's given talks at a number of major astrology conferences, including the United Astrology Conference and the Northwest Astrology Conference. Uh, he specializes in Hellenistic astrology. So, Alan, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. How are you doing tonight? Is it snowing in Colorado? Uh, it is chilly here, but it's not quite snowing yet. But it's a good evening to have an interview, so thanks for thanks for coming on. <laughs> You're more than welcome, sir. So, first things first, uh you've got you've got probably one of the most colorful backgrounds of any astrologer I know. Uh so how did you get into astrology? Well, um I just kind of fumbled into it in order to disprove it. Um maybe I ought to start off with you know, the first two things I always do in a reading so I get two things right. Uh, way back when, I was born at an early age, and I was very young at the time, um, right. which gives me two things that are absolutely accurate. Right, that's a good uh, opening uh, statement for any any delineation, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, when I was young kid, 12, 13, 14, they were doing the uh, studies at Duke University on ES, ESP, Mm-hmm. You know, woo-woo, things that go bump in the dark and all that stuff. And I was fairly interested in that. I thought it was a lot of hooey, but then there was a book that came out. I don't know, you're probably too young to remember this. It's called The Search for Bridie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And um, it was about this gal that, you know, had all of these past life experiences relegated to this gal who lived in Ireland named Bridie Murphy, and they tracked her, this woman down who had been long deceased, but they found that um, this woman, you know, that had all these experiences uh, were exactly the same, you know, more woo-woo stuff. So I thought this was, you know, this was very strange. Um, still had no clue about astrology, but it, it got me interested in things that go bump in the dark, metaphysics in general, that kind of stuff. Right, paranormal uh Sort of yeah. studies. Anyway, um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside Washington D.C. at a time when teenagers were invented. You know, this was something new and unusual. Um, we had an entirely new class of people with their own music and their own uh, spending money. Um, this was new in American culture. You know, Chuck Berry and Fats Domino and all that stuff. Um, so anyway, I went to high school and uh, got out of high school, joined the Army, see the world, find out who I was, that kind of thing. Ended up going through jump school and uh, got a Green Beret, went to Vietnam. You know, um, when I was in Vietnam, I went into the, uh, chanced into the PX at Saigon and uh, purchased a watch. And I, my favorite wristwatch that I've been wearing forever, which was a Zodiac, you know, Zodiac Watch Company. 
Okay. And it, it had the phase of the moon on it, which I thought was really cool. So here is this harbinger of what I'm going to be doing um, 30 years down the road, you know, from that point. I mean, this is really bizarre, you know, when you start thinking about it. And, and what are you, you're in your uh, early 20s at that point? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, 22. Okay. And yeah. you were in the Special Forces. Um, yeah, and, in, and, picking up, and picking up a Zodiac watch at the PX. Right. <laughs> and then, so then what actually led to your studies of astrology after that point? You, you said that you wanted to disprove it. Uh, yeah. Uh, my sister was into this when I got back from the NAM. Um, and um, about 10 years after that, she gave me a, you know, one of these cookbook astrology deals, you know, that, um, you know, total general modern astrology stuff. Yeah, but enough of it hit, um, you know, that I was rather captivated by it. Um, at the time, I was doing a lot of studying of palmistry and all kinds of metaphysics in general, just reading books. And I noticed that all the lines on the hand and the mounts and everything were named after planets. So I started picking up astrology books and reading astrology books. And I got to the point where I could, you know, pick up a new book, and uh, uh, about 60% of it was rehash. Uh, right. 20% of it was maybe some new stuff from the author, and 20% was absolute rubbish. Um, yeah, but I got to the point where I could distinguish all this stuff. Yeah? Right, so you had some, and what is this, like the, what, early 70s at this point? Yeah, early 70s, mid-70s, that kind of thing. Um, So I got into, uh, I finally got up enough courage to go to a conference. So I went to the NCGR conference at, um, I think it was at the Key Bridge Marriott in Washington, D.C., right across the river from D.C., you know, and all of the wheels and all the guns were there, and here I am, this little bumpkin from absolute nowhere, um, that you know is going to be rubbing shoulders with these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to a couple of the classes, and man, was I in for a big disappointment. Um, I, hell, I knew more about what was going on than the people who were giving the classes did. Well, one gal was going to channel the class, you know. Well, you have to come to my class. You have to come. So I went and I listened, and the spirit didn't show up. So after 15 minutes of her standing in front of the room, and us sitting there, everybody very uncomfortable, um, somebody, somebody else sat up and stayed. I don't even remember what they were talking about. But it was it was very disappointing to me. Um, Right, this is the person who said they were going to channel their, their astrological lecture, but then... Channel an astrological lecture, but the, but the spirit didn't show. Right, so they just froze. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so the, yeah. that, was the, that was your introduction to the modern sort of astrological That's, community. Yeah, right. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me, you know, right? I mean, these right. are the people who are running this thing. Yeah. And when was this? Oh, I don't know. It's mid-70s, I guess, you know. Okay. Got it. So, anyway, uh, I kind of gave up on it for a while and just went home and studied more. And um, But I went to uh, Coiner has a picnic every year in D.C. 
She lives out in Silver Spring. Lynn Coiner? Yes, I went to Lynn Coiner's picnic and ran into Ellen Black. And Ellen Black from Project Hindsight is uh, trying to drum up people to come to her, you know, the first conference. And I just started a new job, and there was no damn way that I could do this. Right. You know, this is but I gave her my car and, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, next year I get a call from Ellen Black that the card had jumped out of her wallet, and I had to be at this thing. Well, at that so time is, uh, I was... This is like 1994? Yeah, my business card. Okay. So, uh, she was meeting in the American Legion Hall and wanted me to come up wearing my um, go-to-hell jacket with all of the uh, Special Forces patches and, you know, Viet Cong hunting club and Cambodian border safety guard and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, where you been, where you going, who your mother-in-law is, what you had for breakfast, you know, Vietnamese jump wings, the whole deal. So here I show up wearing a green beret with all this and going to the bar, and there are two gals, and I say good morning, and they just sniffed at me like I was some kind of horrible creature from out of space. So I went to uh, the bar and ordered a beer, and there were some veterans at the bar, and I introduced myself, and... Of course, in a little podunk town like Berkeley Springs, if you were a Green Beret and going to the VFW or the American Legion, unless they have a couple of guys that go in there frequently, this is a big deal. Mm. So anyway, there was a conversation going on between a bunch of the regulars, and finally one of them leans over to me and says, you know, we're glad to have you in, welcome, and so forth, but you know, we have guest astrologers here this week. And I said, yeah, I know, I'm one of them. And so... I said, oh, wow, now, this is really great. We have a Green Beret who comes into our club. He's an astrologer, and we got all these whack of astrologers. Anyway, what happened was the veterans started buying the uh, astrologers' beers, and everybody's got along well for a week, uh, except for me, because the astrological community still snubbed me. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just, just crazy. You know, even Hand, uh, you know, makes his comment, you know, uh, when he's droning on and on about something about, uh, well, you know, the astrological community, we're all left of center, uh, with a possible limited exception of Alan White in the back row. Uh, and of course, everybody turns around and gives me a sneer. You know, all these, I mean, this is the leftover bunch from the 60s. Remember, we were all baby killers and all that stuff, you know? So, right. Uh, you know, yeah, we made some peace in the valley with the with the veterans, but not so much with me. And it's been like that uh, ever since I've been in the astrological community, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, uh, you're definitely unique since, I mean, there's not a lot of astrologers that are sort of ex-special forces. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, obviously you're kind of a unique, you have a unique, unique background, so it's a little bit more difficult. Well, yeah, but, it, you know, and also it makes me really hardcore and uh, hard-nosed, which, you know, which opened the door to uh, Hellenistic astrology because that's what it is. You know, I mean, it's uh, it makes sense. It isn't this uh, uh, woo-woo um you know, peace and light and love and blessings and rainbows in the sky and herds of unicorns and little fuzzy kittens forever. I mean, this stuff is, you know, you look at a chart and you read the chart. You, I mean, this is what it's going to say. You know, and uh, 
you know, you're going to have some events that show up, and this is how you gauge them, and you know, this is what goes on. You know, it's not, um, you know, it, it, it's not an excuse to justify other people's bad behavior. You know, you know, like Mars made you do it. You know, that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah, I can imagine that that type of astrology, Hellenistic, which tends to be more uh, event oriented and more concrete, would be more appealing to somebody that's looking for more that's more of a straight shooter. Um, yeah, I like I like the philosophy uh aspect of it. But you know, uh, and of course you know, I mean, boy you were there when we went around with Schmidt over and over and over again that uh I mean the philosophy is fine, uh but we're still dealing with astrology, so it has to make good astrological sense. Can't just make good philosophical sense. Yeah. It has to do both. And um that's you know when the project had uh, you know, all of the all of the I, I don't know what you call them the uh, court hanger owners or the advisors or the people who were uh, you know constantly up there in the project making sure that everything that came out of the project made sense uh, was organized could be presented uh, it was impossible to refute and uh, made good astrological sense. Right, that you was my introduction. You remember those days? That was basically the role you were playing when I when I was at hindsight was, as you said, making sure that things made not just good philosophical or conceptual sense, but that they worked out actually in chart delineations, and that was usually your role in, I guess, working with Schmidt in order to make sure that that was the case, so that some of the oh. theories that he was developing made sense in chart delineations. Yeah, and of course I won a few and I lost a few, but... Um uh, you know, and then some I refuse to back down on, which is why he still calls me a heretic. Uh, it isn't, it isn't 100% uh, Hellenistic on certain, certain subjects. Um, you know, I mean, it's like the, you know, the sun, the sun ruling cancer. You know, I mean, this is one of my things and I, I, I refuse to budge on. I mean, it makes too much sense for it to be otherwise. Yeah? So, um, the, the Persian passage. From the yeah. sages' book, that the luminaries both or rule both of the signs, or the sun rules both both of those signs, or something. Yeah, it, what he says is uh, is that the moon moves too fast to have its own zodion. Mm-hmm. However, because of its affinity to Cancer, we will allow a co-rulership with the sun, right. and the, the sun therefore takes its feminine domicile, you know, in Cancer. Which makes a great deal of sense because this puts it opposite Saturn's domicile. So you now have the Sun opposite Saturn's dom- both of Saturn's domiciles. Okay, right. And the Sun now has two domiciles. One of them is uh, like fission, and the other is like fusion. But it's still thermodynamic energy. I mean, what do you do with the Sun at night? It's still being the Sun. Okay. However, you can't see it. So it's kind of a sneaky sun. I mean, right. I know people with cancer. I have a friend of mine that's cancer, and she's she is just the sweetest person you, you could meet. You know, the nurturing and all the stuff that goes with cancer. Boy, you put her on an internet chat list, and I'm telling you, she's got an entirely different personality. You know, she comes across like an atomic bomb. Yeah, you know? it's like Pluto personified. You know what I mean? Uh, and speaking of Pluto, that's also one of the interesting um, sort of approaches that I think that you've taken, that even though you're 
obviously your primary background is Hellenistic at this point. You're very much still rooted in modern astrology, but you take a lot of basically modern concepts and you try and approach them like a traditional astrologer would, like somebody like Valens would in the second century. If you took his approach and then threw the outer planets in and tried to figure out how to use them in a Hellenistic context, it seems like that's what a lot of your work has been about. Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit maybe more than that because this is one of the things that really discouraged me with modern astrology. Um, I mean, you go to a modern astrology and boy, they can tell you everything you wanted to know and then some about Minnie, Mickey, and Pluto without really knowing what the hell they're talking about. All they're doing is mouthing other stuff. Now, you know, when you really look at this, all all the moderns have done is taken a bunch of significations from other planets. You know, slammed them into a planet, you know, and, and then assign that planet to a, to a particular zodiac that they feel that planet would be most comfortable in. Well, this doesn't make any damn sense at all. This doesn't even make philosophical sense. It doesn't make astrological sense. It just doesn't make sense. You know, so I've right. taken it from, from the point of view of what was going on at the time that these guys showed up. Yeah. Uh, what was what did they bring to the table that was new? And I mean brand new. I don't mean Mickey Mouse rehash stuff. You know, new stuff. Uh, what did Uranus show up with? You know, they showed up with the con with with the concept of you know, individual liberties for the people. Mm-hmm. You know, individualism. I mean, this was a big deal. This is not not something that I had been you know heard of before. You know, because everybody had a you know, generally had a monarch or a king or, a, you know, there was something that was going on, an aristocracy or, you know, an elite ruling class, whatever it was. But the people sure as hell weren't in charge. Somebody else was. You know what I mean? Right. This is a new deal, okay? In fact, uh, you know, and then I look at the discovery decrees, and I figure in a pre-existing chart, um they have to be plugged in at that point. That's when they're born. They become, that's when society is ready or the human race is ready to receive their gifts. They right, have that's it one of the ready. positions that uh, we've, we've talked about a lot before because you take a strong position on that, that basically the outer planets aren't valid or in some sense weren't, or aren't useful in delineations prior to the, their discovery, right? Yeah, exactly right. What's the point of looking at um, Pluto in Nero's chart? Who gives a damn? Yeah, I uh, you know, but uh, you would want to look at Pluto in the United States chart. You look at it in your chart, but in the United States chart that I use, it's a pre-existing condition. The chart pre-exists the discovery of this point. So, the point of discovery becomes the natal position of that planet in that chart. Okay, so the way in which you use it is actually to use the the discovery degree as as sort of a key degree for that planet? Yeah. In other words, what you have when Uranus shows up, Uranus shows up at 26 degrees of Gemini, okay? Now, when they write the Constitution of the United States of America, okay, we have Jupiter ruling governments. That's a specific signification is given by Valens, you know, and this is back in the Stone Age, probably because all governments expand themselves. That's what they do best. Uh, and he shows up at 
26 degrees of Gemini. That's where he is. He's exactly on the Uranus discovery degree, which I, you know, so we now have this new concept, okay, uh, that applies to government, because that's what the Constitution is. It's a framework for the government. You know, it isn't right. a declaration of independence. It's just, you know, this is something else again, okay? Uh, Neptune shows up at 25 degrees of um, uh, Aquarius. And uh, it's in the fifth house in the chart that I use. It's exactly opposite uh, uh, Venus. I'm sorry. Exactly opposite Venus. And from that, you get imagery. But you get more than that. You get like Hollywood. Because what happened when this guy is discovered, of course, you got Marx and the socialists and the progressives and later the communists and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but what you have here is an imagery that is almost real. So you have guys like Matthew Brady out running around on Civil War battlefields taking photographs of um, you know, Civil War dead, guys just in layers you know, that have been wiped down by, by rifle fire and cannon fire, and they printed them in the newspapers. And people got all shook up because they'd never seen anything like this before. You know? Look at all these dead people. But they're not looking at dead people. They're looking at images of ink smeared on a piece of paper to make it look like what it's supposed to look like. Right. So it takes after it takes after the Lord of the sign in which it is discovered. Saturn rules deception, and you know Neptune is like imagery, you know, which is kind of a deception, but it. Uh, it's, it, it is a more subtle form. That gets us right. to the movies and television and God knows what else. Yeah? Right. And that makes a lot of sense to say that instead of, like one of your critiques is that modern astrologers, have, that the outer planets in modern astrology have appropriated a lot of the significations of the inner planets, but instead of saying that they've sort of replaced them or taken that over, <clears throat> instead that... They're actually gaining some of that from the domicile lord uh, of the sign that they were discovered in. Sure, look at Uranus. Uranus is, um, uh, we give it, what, change chaos. It's when the wheels fall off the wagon for no reason at all. And what does Valen say about Mercury? I mean, the thing shows up in, in, uh, in Gemini, and he, he says about Mercury that Mercury is responsible for conditions in our life that show up that we have no explanation for, stuff that comes right out of the blue. I mean, that's right. what he says. Now, boy, if that ain't a description of Uranus, I don't know what the hell is. Yeah? It's right. it is. Yeah? And then we have our good friend Pluto, who shows up at 17 degrees of, um, uh, of cancer. Remember, that's the feminine domicile of the sun. And I did a chart on Trinity. Uh, Trinity was the first atomic explosion. He set up the first atomic bomb. And what we have is we have Saturn co-joined the moon exactly at 17 degrees, you know, of cancer. You know, boom. Now, so Pluto, in my opinion, takes big stuff and makes it little and little stuff and makes it big. In other words, it takes a, an atom and it makes a bomb out of it. You know, or in 1930, when it was discovered, um, 
they built the first computer. It uh, was University of Chicago. And they had to construct a three-story building in order to put this stupid computer in here. I mean, it was a monstrous thing, right? Now, the cell phone that you carry in your pocket today is much more powerful than that computer was, that three-story computer was then. So this is Pluto taking big stuff and making it a little stuff. Even just in people's charts. Look at this. You know, Schmidt, as a good example, has Pluto on his ascendant. Exactly. Now, Schmidt has a hell of a brain. You know, uh, he had a scholarship to MIT. I mean, he could have done anything. You know, when he decided to go to St. John's in Maryland and learn how to think, which is what he did. Now, he has taken something very minute in the world of academia called Hellenistic astrology and made a big deal out of it. Now, that's, that's Pluto again. And it's also very powerful, but it's taking you know, something little and making a new big deal. Welcome to the wonderful world of Pluto. Yeah? Right. So I'm going to Mickey and Pluto if they're on an angle, you know, nailed on, you know, you know, a, a planet, or or you have transits to that natal position of discovery. You know, particularly in a pre-existing chart, because the chart I'm running is uh, the declaration for the necessity of taking up arms, you know, which is, uh, predates the Declaration of Independence by a year. And I think that's the formation of these United States of America as opposed to the Declaration, you know. Right, you use the war chart as the chart for the U.S.? Yeah. Um, Boyd and uh, uh, Firebrace came up with this thing. I read your book, and I was very impressed with it because I had been looking for, I've been looking for the right chart. I didn't like Sylvie. Uh, it, it was a weak sister chart. It, you know, the, everything in his brother-in-law is in the eighth house, which is a dysfunctional place including the Lord of the Ascended. So the Lord of the Ascended doesn't even see the Ascended. I mean, the chart is totally nuts. Uh, it, it is. It, it looks like a banana republic. I mean, that's yeah, what it was. Tra- tra- traditionally speaking, I think I'd agree that the, the Sibley chart uh, doesn't look like the best uh, inceptional chart for a nation. Uh, from a but, it, but it had to be. It had to be because of what it is and what it did. In other words, what you have here is a year before, year before that, less two days. In other words, we're still in this perfection, um, first house perfection deal. Uh, what you have is uh, the Second Continental Congress gets together and they they list a bunch of grievances, uh, and the last sentence is, "We are taking up arms and we will not put them down until hostility ceases." Now, this is the closest thing to a declaration of war I've ever heard, you know, because before this time, all the shooting has been going on between militias. In other words, it's been the Massachusetts militia or the New York militia or the New Jersey militia, but it hasn't been any kind of unified effort. Now, they just made George Washington, you know, the commander of the military, you know, mm-hmm. organize an army, and, you know, here we go. And all all of the 13 colonies signed on to the thing. So, effectively, at that time, we became a country. However, what's you the cannot... data for this chart again? Huh? 
What's the what? data for this chart? Oh, it's um, July the 6th. 1775 at 11.05 a.m. in Philadelphia. Now, of course, Boyd and Firebrace were sidereal-ists, and when I converted the thing over, I ended up with a 29-degree Virgo rising, which nothing worked in the thing. Uh, so I adjusted the time by five minutes of clock time and ended up with zero degrees on all house cusps and uh, you know, I end up with a chart that looks like an absolute superpower, which is basically what's going on. And the perfections work. On every damn event that I have just thrown out, and I just picked them, um, I went everything from the Seneca Falls Conference to the Transatlantic Railroad to the right on down the line, building of the Panama Canal, a lot of different wars, landing on the moon. The perfections work. Not only do the perfections work, and when I'm talking about perfections, that is the Lord for that uh, perfected place runs the year and uh, gives significant events. You know, transits through by that become significant. Now, so transits to or by that planet uh, actually have, have, they have something to say, and it also has something to say about what's going on. In other words, you can't have things like Neptune sextiles Venus, and so we go to war. I mean, neither one of these planets has to do anything with that. You know, it's just that's just a transit. Now, when you have something like Neptune on top of Mars, um, that's going to war. That's a different concept. That's a seaborne attack. So. Uh, so some of the placements, just really quick in this chart, just for those that are listening, uh, the chart has. Zero Libra rising with Saturn at two Libra, uh, exalted in the first house. The and it's at 20. Also, it's in its own bounds. It's doubly dignified. Okay. Uh, and also in a day chart, the Sun is in Cancer in the 10th whole sign house uh, at 14 Cancer. Jupiter is at 9 Gemini, sextile to Mercury at 10 Leo in the 11th, uh, with Venus at 26 uh, Leo. Mars in the 12th at 27 Virgo. The lot of fortune is in Capricorn, uh, with its domicile lord being Saturn in the tenth house relative to fortune. Yeah, it's a big gun chart. Okay. And the moon, which is we the people, is in the first house. Right. So I, uh, there, there is very little lore in Hellenistic astrology on mundane astrology. I mean, very little. So I, I got into this thing to determine whether or not we could use the Hellenistic concepts that we have in a, in a mundane frame, and do they work? And the answer is, yes, we can, and yes, they do. Okay. So you're taking what are basically, since Hellenistic astrology, definitely I would agree, is uh, almost entirely focused on natal astrology, and only sort of to a lesser extent on electional. It was really during the medieval period that medieval com becomes more prominent. So you're taking some of the natal techniques, uh, the time lord techniques for natal astrology from Hellenistic and applying it to this chart? Yeah, right. Sure. Got it. In other words, I could also do this based on uh, modern astrology. We can look at that uh, zero degrees rising as a new nation, okay? Um, and we have Saturn there. Saturn is basically rules and regulations, okay? So it's a new nation under law. Uh, we the people, that's the moon, is in the first house. This is uh, the people for the people and by the people. 
you got the sun in the tenth, which is the president. You've got Jupiter in the ninth, which is the court system. And you've got two bodies, Venus and Mercury, occupying the eleventh, um, which would be uh, Congress representing the two houses, uh, you know, the raucous House of Representatives by Mercury and the more sedate Senate uh, represented by Venus. And, you know, you end up with Mars stuck in the 12th, you know, controlled by the military or controlled by the people because uh, Virgo and Libra have the same essential time, so you can read them basically as, uh, uh, you know, a co-joining, Okay. Okay. So, and, uh, from a modern frame, I can read it the same way. You know, it's right. just, a, just what the thing says. You know, but yeah. I, you know, when I start doing perfections on this thing, boy, it, it really comes alive. I mean, yeah, Nick Diggenbest is in the. Uh, there's a chat room that's open right now uh, while the show is going, and he says that uh, that it was using this chart that. Uh, you came the closest out of any astrologer he knows to to predicting 9/11, and he, he says that you made that prediction in July of 2001. Somewhere around there, I don't know. I've been giving talks on this chart, jeez, uh, I guess for the past 12 years. You know, once a year at this little uh, annual event that uh, the Winchester, Virginia woo-woo mob has. And, of course, they're all a bunch of howling liberals, and they hate my guts, but they all come to listen to what I have to say, you know? And so I generally end up with standing room only, full house, uh, the whole living room, you know, full of people sitting on the floor, and uh, we get down the garden path on this, and this is what's going to happen this year. And I've been uh, pretty much right on the money for uh, the last 10 or 12 years. I mean, this is what's been going down. Um, so what was it? I guess you were looking at the, um, you were basically looking at the eclipse uh, back in 1999 and 2001. Uh, I guess Nick says that if you had focused on that ingress, that Mars ingress, uh, you would have had it to the day or within a day. Well, it would have been, I uh, would have been awfully close. Uh, but you know, ingresses uh, run for 14 days. I mean, you've got a seven-day stretch period up to the point that they're totally intensified at the event, and then they release and, um, you know, that kind of thing for the next seven days until they get back down to normal again. So what you're basically looking for, you know, with, 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 with Hellenistic astrology, the modern astrology doesn't have at all, is the intensification of planets. So you have a timing mechanism. In other words, you're looking for the Lord of the Year, the Lord of the Month, you know, who is hot. And then you, you're right back to, okay, well, you know who's hot, you know who's not, but you know who's screwing who and who's on top, and that'll give you an event. Then you've got to figure out what, are, what, what places they're coming out of. Where do they come from? You know, why are they doing what they're doing? Because we still have the topical places. Yeah, that's right, the whole, whole plan houses. Yeah, well, I I hate to use that. I just hate to use the word signs because a zodion is not a sign. It, you know, the places are the signs. In in other words, when you get into to the the first house, second house, third house, um, we can thank the Arabs for screwing all this up. Uh, you know, the house is the place. Okay. 
and the first topical place gives determination for the signs of whatever it is. In other words, it points directions to a particular thing. That's what a sign does. You know, you go into a strip center, and it got 12 identical storefronts, okay? And the only way that you know what's going on is there's a sign over the top of each one of them. This is so you don't go into the florist and order a double pepperoni with extra cheese. Or you don't go into the pizza joint, you know, and order a, you know, a side of beef and some broccoli because it isn't the supermarket, yeah? Now, so I prefer to use the term a zodion, which is an, supposed to be an image, an animal, and a living thing uh, that has natures and qualities that it impresses on whatever place it finds itself in. Right. I think that Schmidt finally settled on image recently, and he's trying to push that as the new translation of sign or zodion, although it's it's sort of missing that other half of the component, which is the notion of something that's that's living or a living being. I, I think it's I think they're the most important things going, and you got to go to them first because they are a living thing. I mean, that's where we get zoology and and zoo from is zodiac. Yeah, I mean it's a zoo out there. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've been in the astrological world long enough to figure that one out. Yeah, definitely uh, astrological politics. I would definitely call a, a animal <laughs> farm. <of some> sort. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I see it. You know, and I remember I have advised you on this stuff. Watch your back. Yeah. You so know. that's one of your biggest pieces of advice to a new astrologer: is is don't get embroiled in in astrological politics. No, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to rejoin the NCGOR. I mean, I've given these people money forever, and, you know, all they want is uh, if you're going to speak at an astrological conference that's run by the NCGR, you have to have certification from the NCGR, but the damn stuff that they teach and they demand, as you know, is all bogus. And the problem is, and here's the big problem, Chris, they know it's bogus. That's the problem. I mean, and this really upsets me. Uh, the second conclave we had, at you know, when I was all dressed up in my war suit, um, all the big guns from astrology were there, and oh, they were, oh, wow, this makes so much sense, and I'm going to have to change my lectures, and I have to rewrite my book, and yada, yada, yada. But nobody did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Demetra did it, but nobody else did it. Yeah? Right, uh, you had an interesting perspective being there. I mean, it, right in the middle of the 90s when Project Hindsight was first taking off, I'm sure yeah. there were a lot of people that were feeling like that was going to change everything and that the, the whole community was going to be different uh, in a yeah, very so, short period of time. So these people are still using the same bogus concepts you know, to people who don't know anything and go to their first conference. It's crazy. I mean, it's just nuts. And, and ESAR, I mean, I've been, they've been trying to get me to join ESAR forever, and I refuse to do it because of this ethics thing. You know, they demand that you don't speak about death. Well, I mean, we speak about death all the time. We have endings of marriage. That's a, that's a divorce. It's a death of something. And we, we talk about death all the damn time. Oh, no, but you can't talk about death. Well, why not? It's um, All this shows to me is that, you know, the people who are members of this organization are incompetent. That's what it shows right. to me. I mean, yeah. there has, I mean, there's definitely some issues. Um, you know, the m- modern astrology and modern astrologers definitely have an aversion to the notion of 
that astrology's purpose is for prediction, and it seems like some of the ethical guidelines, or what you're what you're saying is a lot of the ethical guidelines reflect that. There's sure. sort of aversion to the notion that astrology is about prediction, despite the fact that basically, I mean, that's the entire notion underlying it. That as soon as you start making statements about a person's birth chart, which is just a diagram that represents the positions of the planets the day that they were born that you're inherently making a prediction based on that so there's some well, there, are, there are two things that that uh, that i could say about this the first thing is to ask the question of what is astrology what is the definition of astrology now according to Bonatti, you know it is to predict the future and reconstruct the past i mean that's what it is you figure out what went down you know based on you know you know, previous hits on a planet at a particular time, and you use that stuff to predict the future. Other than that, when the hell good is it? The second thing is that there is a psychological mumbo-jumbo crowd in astrology that wants to co-opt astrology. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have to have a degree in psychology in order to practice astrology. You know, I mean, what else are you going to do with a BA in psychology? You know, that kind of thing. You know, right. And then, so you object to the notion that astrology is... Yeah, that spreads to the astrological, uh, you know, mainstream, and they demand to be accepted by, you know, the, the, the academic and scientific community as a legitimate, you know, form. And I'm thinking, no, they aren't going to accept you. If they do anything, they will co-opt you. And you will no longer have any say in anything astrologically, because it will all come out of some ivory tower university. That's interesting that you say that, because that's actually become a, a point of discussion recently in the community, because um, Christopher Warnock wrote this like, like op-ed piece on his forum last month about um, basically astrologers trying to get into universities and trying to appeal to academics or something, and he was sort of railing against that, but also railing against... Organiz- astrological organizations that have attempted that, like Kepler, uh, and he was saying that Kepler was uh, bad or, or misguided or something because they weren't teaching enough astrology and they were doing it purely in an academic context. Um, I, think I, if, I, I think if the astrological community as a whole runs its astrological colleges, that is an entirely different concept than being co-opted by you know, Duke or the University of Maryland or Sanford or UCLA or something like that. That's a different deal. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think there's definitely a role for things like Kepler and... uh, I mean, that's basically what hindsight is. Uh, It just doesn't have a degree program. But I mean, hindsight had the the potential of doing that, but, I mean, the biggest effect that hindsight had in a large teaching context, was through Kepler and through uh, Demetra, basically learning Hellenistic astrology from you and from Schmidt, and then teaching that to several groups of students uh, through Kepler. Oh, yeah, I've had long conversations with Demetra uh, at that period to make sure a lecture was right. You know, I've been there, done that. Um, You know, I've got the T-shirt, the whole thing. Uh, You know, but this is the kind of stuff we need. Um, and frankly, I, I don't know really what's going on in hindsight now. I've been down in North Carolina for uh, uh, going on just over two years now, and um, so I'm not close enough anymore to get up there like every day. You know, so I, 
you know, I'm down here going to the VA once a month and you know, getting, you know, trying to stay alive a little bit longer, and that's basically what I'm up to. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, you've had a huge effect, I think, on the sort of history and astro- of astrology and on my own studies through uh, the people that you've taught. Uh, I, when I was in Oregon a few months ago visiting Demetra, uh, she told me this really funny story about how there was this uh, Kepler symposium that was in Seattle in like 2000 or 2001, and all the students stayed over and went to the Norwalk conference in Seattle the next weekend. And one night at the bar, they were all standing around, and there was this guy there, and he was he was sort of aggressively telling them about traditional astrology, and they kind of piqued their interest, and so they set up an impromptu lecture. Uh, I guess that was when you talked at Norwalk. I guess that was my Norwalk talk, yeah. They try to keep me in the shadows. Um, I did a talk at UWAC, you know, in the, what, the free speech thing, and uh, I had the hall totally filled up, you know, I mean, the hall that people use to walk back and forth in the hotel, okay? <laughs> I created quite a traffic jam. Um, and then everybody rushed over and bought books. You know, I, I mean, this is what you got to do, you know? But right. tell these the astrological, they don't want any parts of me. I mean, they do not want to see me give lectures. They don't like that. Yeah, yeah you it, don't tend to play by the type of rules that I think most organizations like to outline. Well, you know, it makes them nervous. Uh, you, know, you know, they got this hardcore guy who may say something that uh, they don't agree, you know, that doesn't agree with what they've been pushing for the last umpty thousand years. This is how these people have made their livings. Huh? They're not interested in that. Well, I mean, I think that in the periods in which you've been allowed to give lectures, it certainly had a major effect. Uh, for example, in you know 2000 or 2001, I guess from what I'm told, you you basically gave an impromptu lecture that was like an introduction to Hellenistic astrology, and the entire class or, or current class of Kepler students said that they wanted that that material in the curriculum. And so Demetra then, Demetra George then went off to study Hellenistic astrology with you. And Yeah, I remember we, we commandeered a room, uh, and this was against the party. I mean, they were having a big party upstairs. So okay. we didn't have any of the guns that showed up other than Demetra. But, uh, you know, we had standing room only in a room. It was a big deal. You know, I had my little just a- chart with me and did my thing, you know. Nice. I mean, and that ha- in and of itself had a huge effect because then Demetra goes on to teach a, a several courses yeah. on Hellenistic astrology at Kepler, and then a number of people end up taking that. Um, I mean, I'm one of those people that took that course or was forced to take that course in 2004, 2005. Um, so that indirectly sort of, yeah. you know, made my, my study of Hellenistic astrology possible. Yeah, the only place I've been allowed to speak. Uh and speak fairly freely was up in hindsight. So all the conclaves I got, you know, basically, uh, you know, the option to run my mouth, particularly at night when everybody's kind of, you know, laid back and having a beer, and I would just like, you know, I'd give my lecture, and you can interrupt at any time and ask questions if you don't understand this stuff. And, uh, you know, it goes fairly well. You know, but I had people also that have come to these things and sat out on the porch and got drunk on wine, I've never attended class one that I've ever given, 
and and uh, profess to be experts in uh, Hellenistic astrology. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a Love redneck it. in North Carolina. Does as a matter of fact. You know, and then of course, you know, I got into it with the past life crowd. You know, I mean, that just infuriated the hell out of me. Um, you know, and I, and I, I asked. I said, "Well, you know, this is great. You're doing past lives. Can you also do future lives? If the next one is better, do you just commit suicide and leave?" Um, I mean, this is nuts. How do you prove this stuff? And then I found what they're doing. Well, they contemplate the nodes and they dream up a story and they start talking. And I'm thinking, this is this is like the gal that channeled the lecture way back when at the first conference that I went to. Yeah, you're talking about uh, evolutionary astrology. Yeah, I mean this is okay. just, you know, to me this is this is beyond woo woo. I mean this is just nuts. This is out there somewhere. I just cannot wrap my head around it. Now if I was if they were going to start with something like the prenatal lunation, maybe I could say, okay, well let's take a look at this. But they don't do that. They want to go with the with the nodes. Now, what the hell did the nodes have with with past lives? God only knows, because I sure don't. Yeah. Yeah, that is curious. It is kind of a recent phenomenon. Um, when you look back in the history of astrology, you would think if the nodes had such important significance in karma and reincarnation, then you would see it show up. For example, in the Indian tradition, where the nodes are used, you know, as almost as planets, and they have been for about two thousand years now, but they don't seem to have any special significance or association with karma or, or reincarnation in Indian astrology. Yeah, but in, in Hellenistic, we also used the prenatal lunation. I believe it was, we were brainstorming one night up in Cumberland, I believe it was Dimitri that came up with, maybe this is the entrance point of the soul into the body. Ah! Right. You know, and that, that to me, that hit home, that, that made some sense. Yeah, so I started messing around with that, and there's no way I can prove it, but there's no way I can disprove it. But it's a hell of an interesting theory. Yeah? Right. So, I don't know. And then, I, you know, of course, way back when, when I was still feeling my way around, uh, even before the, the first Hellenistic conference that I went to, I took a, a trip with a girlfriend, a then-girlfriend, and we went to Virginia Beach and visited... Um, Casey's, you know, whatever that thing is, the Casey's Research Center or whatever the hell it is down here. And um, there was a book in the astrological section, a little pamphlet, on Guido Bonatti's aphorisms. Yeah, you know, the 147 aphorisms, you judge a chart, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And it wasn't very long, so I made a copy of it and brought it home. And the first thing it says is, determine the second of the planet. And then he never talks about that anymore. And I'm thinking, what in the hell is sect? I never ever heard it. Here I've been an astrologer for you know twenty years now. I've never even heard the word before. Now, it's interesting to me that everybody talks about sect, but nobody defines it. Nobody says what it is, what it's supposed to do, what is its purpose. You know, they tell you what it is, but they don't tell you what it's supposed to do. So I think that there's some kind of secret esoteric doctrine that goes along with this because it's always the first thing they mention. And what I think it is is that the sect of the chart represents the purpose of the soul in this life. And that planets contrary to the sect operate as distractions from that purpose. 
and they can be good and they can be bad or whatever it is. In other words, you may come in to learn humility, you know? Right. Uh, but then again, you become an actor and end up in Hollywood and uh, have a bazillion dollars and drive around in a Duesenberg. Now, this doesn't help your uh, learning to be humble. You know what I mean? It right. may be a distraction. It may be a good distraction, but it sure as hell doesn't help your life purpose. Right. That's, so I mean, that's interesting. I'm kind of messing around with that one in my mind, too. Yeah? No, that makes sense to me, and that goes along with something that I usually tell clients, that the usually that like the malefic that's of the sect in favor, so Saturn in the day chart or Mars in the night chart, tends to be obstacles that are sort of surmountable, the things that, you know, the situations that uh, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger type scenarios, sure. whereas the, the malefic that's contrary to the sect us- usually tends to be things that just sort of knock you down that you can't get back up from. Um, yeah. And there's something that's almost a little bit more senseless or a little bit more, uh, you know, not constructive about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like um, it's that and, and like the lots. Nobody talks about those in modern astrology. You talk about the parts, but I don't think they know what they are. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, and they, they talk about the part of fortune, but they really don't know where the hell it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's also something like a lot... There's a lot of death, and there's a lot of the destroyer. And everybody has a destroying planet in their chart. And when these guys get together, you've got a crisis on your hands. You've got a personal crisis, health crisis, or, or some kind of crisis. Mm-hmm. There's also questions as to um, do planets cause events? You know, I mean, I've been doing charts long enough to know that, you know, when you park your car outside and a tree falls on it during a windstorm, um, you know, and you go out there and, it, and the Lord of the Twelfth is nailed on the descendant or something, you know, which deals in death, among other things, um, and the Twelfth House being uh, your personal quadruped, whether it's a, you know, which is generally measured in horsepower, it could be a Colt or a Mustang or a Pinto or a God knows what, um, who caused it? Did Mercury cause it? Or did you fail to take notice of the windstorm that was coming and to move the car into a safe place so it wouldn't get squashed by a tree? Yeah? So in that that perennial question of are the stars signs or causes, you take the position that the stars are signs of future events but not causes? Yeah, I I, I look at I look at uh, you know, that most of the stuff is is capable of mitigation. I mean there are three kinds of, of of fate, um, you know, one of which is chiseled in granite fate. You'll live until you die, and when your time comes up, you're gone. And there's nothing you could do about it. Um, you know, but there are, you can change the, how can I say this, the magnitude of the event. If you know you're going to get a Mars event, you know, uh, you can change the magnitude of it. In other words, you can stub your toe or you can break your leg. What do you want to do? You know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. you, that's that's almost like the Mesopotamian concept of the Nambury rituals or the propitiation rituals where you you sort of uh, sure. that, mitigate and then there's, the signification. Then there's chance. It's the, the 2K, luck. That's the wheel of fortune. You know, stuff just happens, you know. You know, somebody shows up at your door and says, well, you won a million-dollar lottery. And you say, I don't play the lottery. Oh, we have the wrong address, and they go next door. Well, you were lucky for a minute. You know, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Right. So, 
But there is chance. Right. These are all concepts that this is what really attracted you to traditional astrology because it feels like you have an access point for dealing with those those areas. Yeah. There's also fate versus free will. I mean, are all these things fated? Yeah, you're going to get an event when Mars rolls over the sun and Mars happens to be the perfected planet for the year, you're going to have an event. Now, the question is what kind of event is it going to be? And here's where the, here's where the other part comes in. Are you going to react in a good way or a bad way? That's free will. Now, you know, that depends on, you know, can you make lemonades, lemonade out of lemons? And are you talking about just the internal response of the person, or are you talking about like no. an actual... Being no, the internal response of the person to the event. Okay. In other words, I think, yes, you can change the magnitude of the event if you know what's going down, and then, yes, it's how. What is your response to it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, I think, where your free will comes in, because, you know, again, you can pile negativity on yourself so the next event is much worse than this one. Or you can pal positive in, and the next event is not as bad as this one. You know, right. it depends. You know, it depends on you. I think well, I said that, right? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, on that note, it looks like there's about one minute remaining, so I think this is going to end on us in a few seconds. So I just want to thank you for you know, taking the time to do this interview. And well, thank you. I feel honored to be your first uh, guinea pig. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think it went well. We had more time to talk about the war chart and things like that, but uh, I don't know. You guys ever get fan mail or questions or anything? Uh, you know, uh, write them down, and I'll try and answer them. Okay. Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to send in any questions, I think there's an email address, and let me see. I can I can forward all those emails to you, Alan. And I'm still I'm still uh, posting on your website, which is uh, you know on MySpace, whatever the hell it is, you know the thing right, that the, you're the, not into. So you might give right, that out. The horoscopic uh, astrology group on MySpace is where you're usually active. Yeah, I, I think it's right there. Right now it's down, but you can I think people can find you at uh, Spearbearer on MySpace uh, is your profile name. Yeah, and. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, and I'm hopefully next time we'll have more time to to have you on and discuss the war chart. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Well, that's the end of the show. Uh, I'll probably have. I'm going to start lining up interviews for the next uh, few weeks. So uh, this seemed to go pretty well. So I think I'll schedule the next few shows a little bit more ahead of time. So uh, listen in, and if you like the show, then subscribe, and there'll be plenty more where this came from. Okay.